Hi, I'm Steve Mabb, Chair of the Australian Shareholders Association, and we're proud to be hosting the 2024 Investor Conference in Melbourne from the 19th to the 21st of May. And we're stoked that Phil, the host of this podcast, is going to be our special guest MC. If you haven't heard much about the ASA Conference, it's a flagship event that attracts around 300 investors and industry professionals, including the Chair of National Australia Bank this year, the Chair of AGL. We have Dr. Sam Hupert, the founder and CEO of Primedicus, and we've also got Richard White, the founder and CEO of WiseTech coming along, along with many others. For a limited time, new members can enjoy special pricing on registration for the upcoming conference, along with a complimentary 12-month digital membership with the ASA. That's two-day conference registration plus one-year ASA membership for $499, a saving of $150. Simply search for Australian Shareholders Conference Register, click on two-day conference non-member, enter the discount code MEM, as in member, 499, the number's 499, so that's MEM 499 to claim your special offer. Come along and meet me and Phil at the conference. We look forward to seeing you there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shares for Beginners. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Shares for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. Arnold Schwarzenegger said it wasn't about his training that got him to be the champion as Mr. Universe. It was the routine before it. So every night he would make sure that his gym bag was packed, that his shoes were ready, that everything, because it wasn't getting, it wasn't the gym itself, it was getting to the gym. Because he knew once he was there, away he went and off he went. It's the same principle. Have your routine with your investing. I am contributing X amount per month, per fortnight, per year, calendar, whatever else. And my goal is to be wealthy in 5, 10, 15 years by using compound interest to my advantage. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. What are the secret mind powers of successful investors? How does training your mind help you to protect and grow your wealth? Joining me today to share his thoughts and beliefs of the power of the meat between our ears is Evan Lucas. G'day, Evan. Hello, Phil. That's a great lead in the meat between our ears. The most <laughs> powerful thing in your entire body because that's right. It is just a piece of meat. What a lead in. Love it. Yeah, I try and mm. use the term muscle because I think that's that's what it is. It's you know like anything in your body, it can be trained, it can be worked, it can be improved, and it's inverted commas fitness is mm-hmm. is using your mind as as often as you can and, and stimulating your mind as much as possible. Well, I was just talking to another guest, um, Claude Walker from A Rich Life, and um, we were talking about um, challenging listeners. And uh, you know, I was sort of saying about this podcast is while it's called Shares for Beginners, it's not Shares for Simpletons. So I do like to go a little bit heavier than um, some people may want, but um, I think if we raise our expectations, um, we raise our results and outcomes. Yeah, and I'd also look at it from a different point of view is that even if you're a beginner, you, you're going to have an understanding. And what I mean by an understanding, you you know how the world works, you know how the things that you do work 
and you will have a very interesting and understanding about the intricacies of your own personal experiences and your life and et cetera. So although we, I agree with you, using the term beginner, all it is that you're just learning a new skill, but you've already got skills and you'll be able to apply those previous skills you've got, whatever it is, into this world as well. And I think that's – I agree with you. I would much rather sit here because what I think you and I are basically saying from the answers that we're both giving, which is when you look at these kinds of things – you've already got an education and that's the term. You've already got an education. So you will, if we go too, too lowbrow, it'll not just bore you, but it won't actually stimulate your mind. It won't actually stimulate you to stay in this space, do what you need to do, which is, as Phil pointed out, and he, and he does it through this entire podcast series, is you know it's about building wealth. It's about also getting that skill because that's what it is. It's just a skill to a level that you're confident enough to actually not go from just being a beginner but understanding that investing is, is something that, all can do, all can do relatively well. And once it's going, the confidence it gives you to let you do what you want, when you want, how you want, just you know, amplifies. And you're going to hear me say that term over and over in this podcast. <laughs> Good to hear. Um, but it's also the the idea that um, we're trying to get past the obfuscation of this industry. Uh, yeah. So much of this industry seems to be about um, keeping the um, uh, those special mind powers in the in the hands of a particular cult. And yep. um, we're just trying to open that up and realise it's it's not that hard. The maths is not difficult. You don't need even calculus. You know, that's there's a lot that you can do yourself. Correct. And the other thing that I would say to those sort of magic people that you're explaining to, I I've come from that world, and what I mean by that is that the way I've always been explained it, and the way people always talk to me, the same thing. It's sort of like a a line of continuum. There's you know people on the beginner slash sort of simple side there are people on the very other side which are this highly complex really really you know strange modeling all this kind of sort of adverted commas dark arts material um and i've i've been on both sides uh, and i like to think that i can now sit in the middle and everyone can sit in the middle of those two because Phil's right. The other thing that research shows, that history shows, is that all those models, all those you know, secret herbs and spices or whatever sort of acronym or, or sort of pun you want to use to describe it, they don't necessarily give you above and beyond returns um, and that needs to be pointed out. So in the end, I mean, what we're trying to do here is long-term. Those guys are looking short-term and trading and doing all sorts of other random little things. That That isn't you know that isn't going to build your wealth that isn't going to get you in a situation of of being really really happy with with where your money and and your your overall asset position is going it it does take time uh one of the things i talk about a lot now is is patience and, and i remember when i first started in this industry and i know feel you're the same is you know when you first get in there the 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 rush to move, the rush to return is really high. And human beings are geared to that. So don't don't beat yourself up about it. We are geared to wanting the now, now. Investing is a long-term thing and, and you don't need to make it complex. In fact, you know, the, the biggest, best examples over and over, Warren Buffett, straight out, keep it simple. He says it all the time. You know, Ray Dalio, even he, who runs a massive edge fund, he's like, look, the more simple it is, the better it's going to be. So... That is the other part of this is that you don't need to sit on that extreme other end that I just alluded to. Sitting in the middle will do you more than any good. It'll do you incredibly well over time. 
So we've rushed into the answers and the questions, and uh, I haven't even done your introduction <laughs> well, properly yet. Okay, so Evan, you've been investing and researching global markets for over a decade. After getting your master's in finance, you headed to Amsterdam with ABN AMRO before moving to the Royal Bank of Scotland. You returned to Australia with RBS Morgans. I just want to make sure that people understand that you do have some credentials in this area, uh, where you developed your top-down approach. And you're also the author of the recently published Mind Over Money. So why is your mind so important in relationship with money? So first part of that answer is, in the end, all of my experience shows, and also my background is economics, not just markets and all that kind of stuff, is that economics, all economics is, is a study of you and me as a group doing things in certain directions. You know, how we're spending, how we're not spending, what we're doing with regards to our overall confidence, not confidence, et cetera, et cetera. Then investing is the same thing. All market is is just you and I having an opinion in one way or another. And, and I think that needs to be put out there from the point of view that it shows that, again, if we all think that BHP is a buy, we'll all work that way and you'll push the price up. If we all think BHP is a sell and we all work together, we'll push it down. So why I say your mind is all part of it and where it comes into your experience is that that is, you know, these are your biggest influences. These are the things that have shaped your development. It has shaped your understanding. Now, what I mean by that is that you're going to have a particularly bad view of money if you have seen friends, family, parents, etc., struggle with money, you know, always find themselves in debt or find themselves in, in, in hardship. Your view of money is going to be different to somebody that's grown up with it who, you know, has has done incredibly well with it from family experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the unfortunate part. It's like anything. It is exactly the same as if your social scenario is high or low on that spectrum. It, it's all the same thing. And, and so you can you can change it. And what I mean by that is you can work it. So why your mind is so important is that you need to understand who you are. You need to understand you know, what is your view of money? And, and again, when I said this before, my view on money is this. Money gives me autonomy. It just gives me the ability to do what I want, when I want, how I want. That is me. You will be different. Now, the reason I also use that quite highly is that most studies and the best study I can show you is that there was a study that came out of uh, Harvard around human beings and what the most number one priority human beings have. It is autonomy. Think about your work environment. Think about your overall control of your direction. You want the autonomy to do what you want. So that's the same with your investing. Your investing helps you get that autonomy. Your investing helps you move that. So I know it's a very broad brush there, Phil, but the way I answer that question is know who you are with money, know that simple is best and understand that there is no right or wrong answer. It's the right answer for you and what you want to do. But there's many people though that don't even understand what needs to be done. I mean, I'm just preface this by talking about a conversation I was having with a young friend who was about 30 years old a few weeks ago. And he's very, he's incredibly disheartened. You know, he's a tradie, he makes good money, but he feels like he's never going to be able to buy a property. And so I mentioned to him about micro investing and that you can be putting money away each fortnight or whenever you get paid. And then that money can compound over many years. And he said to me, that's the first time anyone has ever said that to me. And sometimes people just don't even know what they don't know or don't know what they don't know. <laughs> yeah, and and that's what we're talking about here. So that he has now had an experience, a relationship with you to start actually shifting his dial with his view around 
money. And that's that's what this all is. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you're already doing that. I mean, if you're here listening to Phil week after week, you're already trying to do what your colleague was trying to do, which is starting to understand that, look, the eight inverted commas, it's been attributed to Einstein. We still don't know if it's true, but he's attributed with the sign of saying that the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. If you can remember your year 10 maths, it's probably the only thing that you really need to know in terms of, of what's doing here, which is whenever you are micro-investing, as, as Phil just said, or even if it's a little bit more than that, dollar cost averaging, whatever you want to use the term for doing, constantly adding to your compound interest con- concept and your compound interest strategy will over time be the best outcome that you can get. And that, that's 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 not me just saying that for being, you know, flippant. That's actually fact. The difference between your year 10 maths and the theory that I just announced and the real world is that understand markets are irrational, they're jagged, they're scary sometimes, and that's fine. And I think you need to understand that that's fine. So the way I I wrote about this in my book too. I actually want, I overlaid the charts is that the ASX, when I wrote the book, it's a little bit different now, but it's close enough. The ASX was on average on a total return, so that includes your dividends, was returning about 9.5%, give or take. If you look at that over a 10-year period with compound interest, reinvesting your dividends at that 9.5%, it gives you 155%. Now, people, when you say that number, that is like, that's not possible. So, well, actually, that's a fact. That's, that's, that's true. And you could do that with any sort of Term deposit, okay? If you look at a term deposit, you compound interest, your term deposit, it's 4.5%. You compound everything back in, roll it immediately, blah, blah, blah. Away you go. You'll get similar numbers. It's obviously not as high as that because 4.5% versus 9.5% is different. But when you actually look at it in real life, you look at that 9.5% per annum and that 155% return over those 10 years that I did it to, which would have been at that time, 2021, June, July, 2021, when I finished writing the book because it came out at the end of last year. Sorry, uh, yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. If you look at the chart together on a real basis, you can see that there's a lot of jaggedness. There's a lot of ups and downs and everything in between. You've got to have the mental fortitude slash also the behavior to understand that what happens in the short term, what happens now actually doesn't affect me. I am looking for that 10-year return. I'm looking for that 155% because, you know, 2023 is not going to be 2033. Phil and I know that. And and if you ask yourself, you know that too. I mean, look back 10 years ago and what was happening and you were doing 10 years ago to think now 10 years into into the future, it's going to be that different again. Um, we know that. I mean, we've had a pandemic in that period of time and all sorts of other things as well. All that can still happen. But over that same period of time, the market was still up 155%. And that's just uh, something that uh, people need to deal with as well and be prepared for and to be educated about is that the market does go up and down. And um, when you see your portfolio on the screen, you know, and it's valued every minute of every day, Mm -hmm. it can get scary when you start seeing all that red. Um, How would you suggest people arm themselves for this kind of experience? Yeah. So I'm going to go back to your example you had with your your friend before, the 30-year-old guy who thought he'd never buy his house. I know it's not perfect, but the, the analogy I always use when somebody asks me that question is that if you walked home every day and had a big neon sign above your house that had to the cent, right, to the cent, how much it was worth, and that neon sign then between 10 and 4 every day moved in front of your eyes, and one day you walked home and you saw it move 10% lower, would you sell your house? I doubt it um, because – 
you know that your house is a long-term investment. You're not going to move out of it. It's the same principle. The the catch is, is that, yeah, markets are much more what we call liquid. They're much, much more open. There's much more money flowing through them. Selling your house takes you know a good three months um, in terms of what's going on. There's a lot of things to happen before you can sell your house. And that actually works in your favor to some extent because if you were to get scared by that neon sign and you were to flick your house, you'll make a mistake. The time factor of selling it slows you down. So... Unfortunately, you don't have that necessarily when you're investing in markets, whether it be equities, whether it be fixed um, fixed income. By fixed income, I mean things like hybrids, bonds, corporate bonds, etc. Those things are open to you to trade, and that's the right term, every day. So again, the strategy is Phil's already starting to put out. The strategy is this. You need to find a way to look long-term. You need to find a way to not worry about the short-term. Now, Again, this is me, not necessarily perfect for you. I have with my personal portfolio, not with what I do for my day-to-day life because obviously I live and breathe markets, but for my personal portfolio, I make it very clear that I don't look at it for probably a month at a time. Now, back in the day, I would probably look at it every day and I break that month. I mean, I'm I'm now strong enough that if I do see a decent move in it, I I don't care. But when I first started... To get over that 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 fear that 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 of mistake, that also that ability to then go, oh my god, my portfolio is down ten percent. I need to get out. I need to blah blah blah, and then clicking out. And I bet you the next day it'll take off on you. All of that thing. It's about taking the mindset away. It is then also about automating. It's as you know, Phil said before, micro investing, adding a hundred bucks a month or every fortnight whenever you get your thing, that then automatically gets reinvested into what you have. That is your compound interest. That's what you've got to remember. Think of it on that perspective. The capital movement up or down in today, this week, this month, this half year, this calendar year should mean nothing to you. It's about I need to keep compounding on the idea that this is a compound interest return that I'm not going to touch for a minimum of five years. And if you can do that, you'll all of a sudden find that you're in a much, much better position. You kind of referenced about how you are you. And obviously, I am me. Yeah, what does yep. that concept mean? You've, you've, you've referred to that in the book, haven't you? I have, yeah. And I've sort of, I've sort of skirted around using it with you just then. And, and it's been a way that I've sort of communicated whenever I've gone and done speaking events, or when I was working in my previous life, working as an analyst, or, or whether I was working as an advisor, and all those materials. Is the more and more I went on it, I sort of said this at the start with the answer: is that I know what I am. I know how I work with money. So I am me. And that's, that's what I mean. What I do with money, how I think about money, how I invest my and my family's money, is, it works for, for me. You are you. And, and that gets back to this idea is that what Phil does, how Phil invests, how he thinks, although you can probably hear you know, in our conversation, we're clearly very similar because we do this for a living, Phil will be different. And those of you listening, you are going to be different to the two of us as well. And that's what I mean. You are you, I am me. This is, and why I say this, this is also uh, uh, the simplest term I can see is it's trying to get away from a envy. It's trying to get away from, you know, getting caught up in things like confirmation bias or attention bias or availability bias. Oh, that person's doing this. They look like they know what they're doing. They look like a smart person. I should do what they are doing. The catch is, is that they're not you. They're certainly going to have a good option. You know, if you if you're following somebody reputable, they're going to have good ideas. They're going to have, but they may have, you know, their 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 goal might be actually to, you know, they might be almost there, 
you know, they, they may actually be finishing up in their investment cycle in a year, whereas you might be finishing up in five years, or they might actually be, you know, highly aggressive in what they do, and they're completely fine with that, but you're not. So that's this is what I mean by knowing yourself, knowing you are you, knowing who you are, having an understanding that what you're doing, it may take ten years. Your friends may take five. That is fine. Don't get caught up in them. Get caught up in you. Know you. Know your money you. In that answer, you referred to a couple of cognitive biases. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's just um, run through a couple of them. What what are your favourite ones? Where have people made the most mistakes? Oh, okay. So the three I mentioned are probably the the most known. There's one other, which is called loss aversion. So I'll start with loss aversion because the reason I say that in the world of money, finance, economics, it's the – most attributable to that world. The man who actually, sorry, the two men that coined it, Daniel Carterman, who is an American psychologist who is a bit of, a, I have a bit of an idol on him. Um, he won, actually won the Nobel Prize in economics as a psychologist, coining the term loss aversion. And his study with his colleague at the time, Amos Trudesky, was showed very clearly that human beings are geared to loss. And what I mean by that, we are much more acute to a loss than we are to a gain. So the examples that he used, I won't go into it, but the best way to do it in a really sort of lay, slick term is if you put your hand into your pocket right now and you pulled out 50 bucks that you didn't know was there, you'd get an elation. It'd probably last you at most four hours. If, however, you knew that 50 bucks was there, you put your hand in there and it's gone, and no matter what you do, you can't find it and you've lost it, you will dwell on that and the, the study found to upwards of a couple of weeks. And that that's that's the difference. Now, the other way to look at it is that it doesn't. It's even. It doesn't matter how big or lot or small. So, let's say you found that fifty dollars, and the elation's for is you know a couple of hours. Even if it's ten dollars that you lose, you are much more likely to dwell on that. Now, why I use that example is that if you imagine that you hold an investment A and an investment B, an investment A is your good one. It goes up, you know, seventy, eighty bucks or whatever it is but your investment B drops by 10, your bias will jump to the B example because you're losing and you will much more fret on the fact that despite the fact, let's say it's $10 loss and you're $70 up, that your net 60 in your portfolio up, which is what it should be doing, you will dwell on the $10 loss, which you just and you know add zeros to it, right? $10, $100, $1,000, $10,000. You are much likely to concentrate on it rather than the – 70, 700, seven, you know, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And that is what loss aversion is. And it's a protection mechanism. Why it's a problem is that not only does it cause bad decision-making because you try and make rash decisions, the studies also show that once you're in a loss-making position, you are more likely to take rash options to try and recoup it, you know, chase fast returns, start using leverage, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing it can lead to, so that's the that's the bad decision-making. The other thing it can lead to is non-decision-making, whereas the fear of loss is so high that you won't actually invest. Um, and that is just as bad because as we came back to this whole discussion at the start of this, this, this podcast, do not forget compound interest is happening in your investment. And that's that's what loss aversion is. It's the it's the most famous one, and it's the one that is most linked to to that. I'll then quickly gloss over the other three for you, Phil. Confirmation bias, attention bias, and availability bias. Confirmation bias is pretty clear. I mean, everybody sort of knows what that is. If you've got a view, you basically will go and search out something that will confirm that view. And social media these days makes that 
very, very easy. If you've got a view that this is the thing to do, you can find that, even though it, you know, it might not be. Again, the best way around confirmation bias is to make sure that A, you've automated, B, that you sleep on it is the other one, and C, these days is, okay, go to social media and find your confirmation, but also find those that have the complete opposite view and ask yourself, why do they think that? Gen- like in the end, if your view is the right one, then happy days, but at least challenge yourself. So that's confirmation bias. Availability bias, this is actually a challenge on the whole premise of, of economics. Economics and markets and market you know, theory is we have perfect information at all points in the cycle, which is clearly not true, but that's the theory. Availability bias is actually even worse in the fact that you have such an infinitesimally small amount of information that you can act on it. So the example would be, you know, GameStop um, twenty twenty one, where there wasn't a huge amount of information, but the available information that was there was that it was the right decision. All these people were doing it, therefore, bang, this is the right thing. That's your availability bias, and away you go. So availability bias and attention bias they sort of blend into each other as well because again, attention bias is something that catches your attention clearly. And again, if it's everybody's doing it, away you go with it. So if you've got the available information that this is the right thing to do, the market is going up in X Y percent, the attention is being put on it. They almost work together. And again, the same principle is breaking it is a sleeping on it, also challenging that view don't rush into acting it's so hard i know and these sound really really simplistic but if they if you can give yourself one second minute hour to pause and just to challenge yourself that again in the terms of what we're talking about here long-term investing they are infinitesimally small amounts of time that can you know help you from making a bad decision or, or a decision that you shouldn't make there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Super is one of the most important investments you'll ever make. But how do you know if you're in the best fund for your situation? Head to lifesherpa.com.au to find out more. LifeSherpa, Australia's most affordable online financial advice. Evan, let's create a fictional listener. They've uh, just stumbled onto the podcast. They've listened through right to this point now. And their only experiences of the market is that they've got friends at the pub or friends that they see all the time. And they're always talking, oh, you should buy this lithium stock or, you know, gold's going to run or what, whatever the, the story is. What would you say to them to stop them making a stupid mistake? So well, the, the, what you're doing right now, if you've got to this point, you're, you're, you're clearly here to educate yourself. So that first and foremost is also part of the answer. The more broader knowledge and education you can get yourself, the more likely you are to be able to actually challenge you know, the, what is initially probably called the taxi driver effect, right? If the taxi driver is giving you a, a, a stock tip, ask yourself why. Or, and again, the GameStop one is the great example. It's a real-world example to show you that so many people did not stop and educate themselves to what was a very run-of-the-mill company, right? It wasn't anything special, doing something 
completely irrational and extraordinary in, in the market. So first and foremost, it's education. Whether it's going to read, whether it's going to listen, whether it's going to watch, it doesn't matter. It just gives you that little bit more confidence to challenge that view. The next one to also ask yourself is what we just talked about. They are them. You are you. The taxi driver effect is that's the taxi driver's want. It's not my want. Yeah, it sounds exciting. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting thing, but it's not in my overall long-term goal of what I want to do. Even if you are an assertive investor, that game stock advantage or the lithium stock advantage or whatever cryptocurrency, doesn't matter. It's not in my world. And this is, again, that sort of training your mind, You know, the fitness that comes with training your mind. Strength, adverted commas, when we talk about your mind, is strength of power of will to actually make sure you go, no, that is not for me. Yes, that is for me. And that is the fitness training of, of getting routines, getting it into. And again, when we say routine, I'm just sort of going a little bit further here on you, Phil, but it's like anything. Arnold Schwarzenegger is the one I use here. And why I use him is that Arnold Schwarzenegger said it wasn't about his training that got him to be the champion as Mr. Universe. It was the routine before it. So every night he would make sure that his gym bag was packed, that his shoes were ready, that everything, because it wasn't getting, it wasn't the gym itself. It was getting to the gym because he knew once he was there, away he went and off he went. It's the same principle. Have your routine with your investing. I am contributing X amount per month, per fortnight, per year, whatever else, and my goal is to be wealthy in 5, 10, 15 years by using compound interest to my advantage. Have you checked out the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary on Netflix? Not yet. I haven't had a chance. Don't worry. I am I am, I am gunning for it. I That's can't wait. So good. Because, again, <laughs> it's, it's the so same good, principle, Evan. right? This, and yep. it, it – he talks about this. I mean, whether you like mm. him or not or what he does, it, it, these are the kinds of people. And it's outside of finance, right? But his lessons apply perfectly into what we're talking about here. Um, I mean, the way I always talk about it when I do these podcasts is that I like to run. and But you can't expect to all of a sudden just go outside and run 42Ks for a marathon or 16Ks for you know a bit of fun. You've got to, you've got to lead into it. And it will take you time. It will take you several months to get you to a fitness level that can do it. It's the same principle. So don't beat yourself up. Don't expect to go off to this podcast and go click a button and I'm gone. I've got into this mode and I'm away. It will take time. And again, that is the hardest bit is, and that's where Arnold comes into it. His routine got him around the ability to a make a non-decision or a bad decision and got him into a routine that once it was there, it was automatic even though he's a human, he was automatically just training, training, training. And also, I believe, just to um, have a sense of humour as you go about it as well, because that's so important for mm-hmm. your, your mental attitude as you approach anything, whether it's markets or training for a marathon. Correct. That's all part and parcel. And I think that term, just to use that straight out for Phil's term there, there's a level of enjoyment that you can get out of this. It might feel like a chore at the start, but once you can start getting it into your routine, your psyche, it'll go from being a chore to being something that you find pleasant to something that you enjoy. It does take time again, but it is that. And it's knowing, again, in the back of your head, knowing that your wealth is growing, the confidence it gives you in other things is incredible. Now, that again, I know that's me. That's a me thing. But at the same time, it's something that I hope you can see and feel over time that you're – you know, that confidence it gives you, that that 
understanding that through the good times and the bad, there is something there allowing me to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Because of the name of the podcast, obviously, I want to talk about shares and um, which is my bread and butter. Investing let's, let's, in shares. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, what's that? Which is my bread and butter. It's what I grew up on. It's what I cut my teeth on. I think that's you, right. You sort yeah, of, but you sort of said it before. Then, we're, we're talking about other things, but yes, stocks are my. No, thing. That, that's okay. But that's um, this is where there's a, a bit of a nuance comes into it because, um, and again, talking about knowing yourself and that you've got to train for a marathon. My um, my analogy is always it's like learning a language. You know, you're not going to learn another language in a couple of weeks. You've got to spend time doing it, which is what you need to invest directly in the share market. Mm-hmm. However, you counsel about ETFs as well. So tell us about why, what, what the place is of ETFs and why you think they're suitable for some people. I, I do. So what I want to caveat that answer with is that I believe you need both. So I do want to put that out there. Um, direct investing and, and, and ETFs. I think are absolutely you know fundamental to, to why and why I say that is that again it gets back to combat interest but then the next thing I'm going to answer ETFs the advantage of ETFs is they give you a level of diversification immediately so if you're a beginner in this and you're you know again we talked about availability bias and 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 how and all that kind of stuff and how much information you need to make a decision an ETF takes that decision away from you because it gives you everything immediately it gives you combank Westback, CBA, sorry, I already said CBA, you know, BHP, it gives you the ASX 200 straight away. Weighted, and what I mean by weighted is the size of the company to the same weighting it has on the ASX. So CBA is the biggest company by market share. It's about 9.5%. BHP is not far behind. It's about 8.5%. Sometimes it jumps above them, blah, blah, blah. The advantage of your ETF is that you just buy one thing and it gives you that same weighting, your same exposure that everybody else can get as well and it, it's it's there. It therefore breaks that concept of you know getting caught with loss aversion. It breaks the idea of trying to chase a sector or, or a lithium stock concept or whatever it is because it's all inside one thing. So that's great. And it gives you a distribution which, as I would say, again, not advice but a the way I would look at it is that I would always be trying to put the distributions, which are their dividends equivalent, to be reinvesting so that it's constantly growing for you. The other way I look at it is this. It provides a bedrock or a core or whatever label you want to put onto it. You can then allow yourself with an ETF to grow your portfolio without having to – and it's simple, without having to make huge amount of decisions. They're so incredibly cheap now, which is fantastic. You know, you, you're talking – less most of them are less than 0.1 of one percent per annum so it's fantastic but they're not perfect and i think at the moment i want to point that out why i say that etfs are brilliant as you just heard but they're not perfect they're not going to beat the market which is fine because you're not there to try and chase and beat the market but they're also a they they also limit your choice they limit your your longer term goals to some extent because you then have to go and chase other things and what i mean by that diversification this is what i want to get to to limit your mistakes to limit your issues diversification is always there so you should have exposure to australian shares you should have exposure to international shares to australian bonds international bonds cash property etc and that's that's a given strategy. That's that's a, an absolute no known. A guy named Harry Markowitz came up with this in the modern portfolio theory, and it's been proven to work because it shows that on the upside it will give you better than you expect, and on the downside it will buffer you from the worst. But again, it's not going to give you, you know, fixed income. Obviously, is going to underperform equities as it should, but equities are going to be much much more volatile than fixed income. Not always the case, but that's the theory. 
So the other part of the answer is that that's why direct ownership is still there. There are still absolute opportunity to, to look at, at equities on an individual basis or to look at bonds on an individual basis. So ETFs are certainly part of it. But why I say that is, you know, for me, I am a more assertive person. I'm still, well, at least I believe I am. I'm still young. Um, I'm still in my 30s, <laughs> although I'm getting very much towards the forehandle. I know that I've got, you know, 10, 15 years. So I need to actually beat the market. I need to be getting a little bit bigger. So I've got a core bedrock, whatever you want to call it, group of ETFs. And then I've got 20% of my portfolio that I can then look to do other things in. Um, whether that is alternatives, crypto, gold, you know, XYZ, or whether that's an assertive sector, lithium, whether that's much, much higher bond chasing, you know, developing world, it doesn't matter. And again, you can hear I'm going a bit technical here, but why I'm saying that is that this is me and that's why I think both direct ownership and ETFs are so important. The ETF world has given people that ability immediately to create an absolute core scenario that 80% of their capital is going to be on the market return. Sorry, I've got two questions in my head at once. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> all right. Ter- it's terrible. I was going to talk about Gemma because I know we weren't going to talk about Gemma and your appearance on Your Wealth, but you gave such a good explanation of the inverted yield curve. Right. Would you mind revisiting that for listeners here? Yeah. Because, and I just want to preface this by saying that the bond markets are much, much bigger than equity markets. They're, they're absolutely huge. They're, and they're they have bigger. a major incredibly major impact on um, the prices of stocks. So anyway, having said that, over to you. Okay. So in the world of bonds and particularly in the US, the reason we talk about an inverted bond yield. So normally the curve, the longer time that an investor has to take before they get their principal back, the more- And this is is because we hear about bonds, there being one year, two year, three year, 10 year, 20, 30 year bonds. And that's- the duration, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so across that time frame that Phil just gave you is what we call the curve, right? So the 1, 2, 3, 5, 7, 10, 15, 20, 25, and 30 is what we call the curve. So the yield that you get on each of those year term bonds makes a curve. And normally the closer to time duration, so the one year yield should be lower than the 30 year. So it should be a, you know, sort of a, almost like a, uh, a slight concave slate all the way up. When it inverts, as it clearly says, it means that the front end of the curve, your one, your two, your three, or your five year, has a yield that's higher than the longer dated. So your 10, 15, 20, 30. Why that matters is that what the market is forecasting is that sometime inside the next 10 years, there will be a financial problem. So Right now, we know higher interest rates, we've got high inflation across the world, not just here in Australia. Central banks are telling that rates are going up, things are getting tight. But what the market knows is that sometime in that future, there is going to be some form of crash. There is going to be pressure. Now, at the moment, they're forecasting that in the next two years, the probability of a recession in the US is almost a certainty. So in the US, the, the market that feels talking about this inverted yield curve, we compare the two-year and 10-year, and it's always the one that's seen there. The 10-year yield, the reason we use the 10-year yield, under economic theory and under market theory, the US 10-year bond is basically seen as the most secure. In fact, it's basically unbreakable. It is the most secure product out there. There is no loss to it at all. 
because the US, the probability of the US government defaulting and not paying on a 10-year bond is next to zero. In fact, it would be zero. Um, and therefore, it's, it's the risk-free rate. That's the term that we use on term of it. At the moment, the two-year bond in the US is higher on the yield than the 10-year bond. And if you go back all the way through to 1900, every time, sorry, in the post-Second post World War era, every time the two-year bond has gone above the 10-year bond in the US, it has forecasted a recession inside the next 24 months. So that is why it matters. That is why we're all looking at it very closely. And the gap in it at the moment is the highest it's been since the 80s and the early 80s. Uh, and for those of you in the history buffs, that was back when Vorkler was in power and he was moving interest rates at not just you know 25 basis points, so 0.25 or 1% at a time. He was moving them at 450 basis points, so 4.5% in one meeting at a time. Pretty astounding stuff on side of that. So getting back to your question in terms of what's going on there, field, why you look at it, why it matters so much is that the markets know or at least are forecasting that there is going to be an economic slowdown. But also it means that to fix the economic slowdown, the US Federal Reserve or here in Australia, the RBA, are going to cut rates. So they know that the bond yield difference, the two years, so in the next two years, they think rates are going to be higher. But in the next 10 years, they know rates are going to have to fall because the central banks of whichever country we're looking at, here's the US, are going to cut. And that's why the 10-year is lower because in the next 10 years, the probability that rates are going down pretty high. In fact, I would almost guarantee that they're going to have to lease it because they've, they openly admit it. They said it. I mean, we're doing this at the moment on the 15th of, of June that this morning in the US, they said that you know these rates could go higher, but they're already at a tightening, very restrictive basis. Um, and so that can't stay forever because the economy needs to move. What I'd also point out, I'm going a little bit further here, equity markets that's so interesting about them is that equity markets tend to actually already be moving to the positive before the recession is actually called. Again, going back to post-World War II era, you know, history books, the market actually already knows the recession's there because don't forget, and this is pretty true, the market theory of markets are trying to price 12 months from now. 12 months from now will be very different to what 12 months is today. And that's why, although the recession might happen in 2023 or early 2024, markets are thinking what, you know, basically June 2024 looks like probably even Christmas next year and touching 2025. That will be a different scenario to what we're going through right now. Okay. Well, I just wanted to finish off and uh, this is the other question I had going in my mind was that um, I've got my own cognitive bias that I want to add to the list and that's mm -hmm. the, if you want a guarantee, go and buy a fridge at Harvey Norman. And you see too many people that they open up a position they look at it and it just keeps on going down and down and down. And it's almost like they feel like they can will the market to move in your own favour. But um, the market doesn't care about you, does it? No, it does not. So what you're talking about there is it's probably alluding to into what we call self-attribution bias. And self-attribution is that – Oh, I knew there'd be a name for it. Someone's yeah, probably yeah. come up. Yeah, come so up, why I say that, it, like just listening to that scenario is you are never wrong – the environment is, but when it goes right, you are right. So never right, sorry, never wrong, always right. The market will always prove you wrong. And that's why, again, talking about your answer before about ETFs and why ETFs can remove that problem for you because it's the whole thing moving in, a, in one direction or not and you're okay with it. But if you've made a decision to invest in something and it goes against you, 
and you argue that it's not your fault, it's the market's fault, that you are willing it to go higher, that it should go higher because of, you know, the demand for lithium in the future is, you know, be four to five times it is now. And and we know that China is coming with all those justifications that I can give to you right now. Still means you're wrong though, right? And it still means the market is telling you that it's wrong because you've invested in something that may actually have a structural problem, right? It might actually be, yeah, lithium as the underlying commodity has an interesting story, but the investment in that company is actually a problem. Why is it a problem? And you haven't done enough delving into it. But your self-attribution bias is going, no, it's the environment. It's the company or the market not realizing that, you know, this is the company. This is the one that's going to win the lithium stock craze or this is the one that is going to basically become the the new AI future of the world, blah, 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 when it's not and, and your self-attribution is getting in the way. So that that's that's what that is. Again, there is a huge, huge self-learning curve from this. And what I mean by that is that human beings hate being wrong. We absolutely hate it as a, as a, as a group of things. And you need to learn, and again, it's a lot of learning, to accept your mistakes because being wrong in the market is f- absolutely fundamental 101, first thing you should learn. You are going to make a mistake. Not only that, I'd argue that you know your, your investment, even in an ETF or whatever it happens to be, you're initially going to be down because obviously you paid brokerage to get in. It's those things to think about going, okay, I am wrong immediately and I might be wrong for six months. That's okay as long as it sticks to my strategy of compound interest. But in the term of what you've done there is that I can't keep willing myself to hope the stock is wrong. It's also about accepting that no, I am wrong, not the environment and I need to change. I need to, to move away from that position because it's not – fulfilling my, my over 20 because then it blends into other things like opportunity cost and a few other bits and pieces like that that's when you start hitting those kinds of problems and that's the way to answer that question is that know that you've got attribution bias and, and how to fix it evan remind us of the name of the book the bone of the book is mind over money um it was an absolute interesting brilliant tough strange experience but i'm so glad that i've done it i'm really really proud of it and um you can find it online on any good bookstore amazon booktopia dimmicks have them they're they're around um and i really do hope if you go and get one you really like it because it was a labor of love i try and put a lot of my own self stories in there and, and examples and and also i want to finish on this is that phil just asked about mistake i openly tell you in that book i've made multiple mistakes and i've will continue to make multiple mistakes but I can overcome my mistakes with my long-term strategy, which is my long-term wealth. And I am well ahead in terms of where I should be. So don't get disheartened. I hope there's a few things in there you take out of it if you do buy it. It's also around your personal life as well. And what I mean by that is that that experience, that link into your real world and into your money world will seep into each other um, and how to deal with that in, in a way that can benefit both your personal life and also your money life as well. So thank you, Phil, for, for letting me talk about my book. Evan, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to finally talk to you. Yes, and thank you so much for having me. It's been brilliant. Cheers, Phil. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 